Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. If, uh, if you're a dad, congratulations, you survived another Father's Day. Uh, I always count it just an absolute miracle to still be here uh, with, with small kids. You're just never sure of what's going to happen. Uh, we don't have a barbecue grill or anything like that to give away today. I'm sorry. Uh, but we are going to have a potentially awkward talk. We know dads love awkward humor and, uh, you know, bad dad jokes and all of that sort of thing. So we thought it's really fitting as we're in the middle of our series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit to spend Father's Day talking about the gifts of tongues. I mean, what better day, really, than Father's Day? Uh, and so, you know, hopefully there's some fun squirming that goes on and the dad inside all of us can giggle a little bit and making other people just a little uncomfortable. Because as a dad, that's what I really like to do. I love to make my kids a little uncomfortable. I love to embarrass them a bit. It's just one of my favorite things. My wife especially, I love to embarrass her. She can't be here so I can say anything about her today. I won't, she listens to the podcast and I like my current living situation. So I'll refrain from that. <laughs> but we're, we're gonna jump right in to continue this talk. We, we've been in a series on the Holy Spirit uh, since February, talking about all of the different aspects of his nature, all of the incredible things that he uh, has for us. And we've moved into a discussion on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Before we talked about that, we talked about framing our worldview in such a way that we're able to read these scriptures the way they were intended to be read, the way that you know, ancient Middle Eastern people were reading the scriptures. And so we moved from there into a talk on words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and discernings of spirits. And then we went from there into uh, prophecy last week. And so today we're talking about tongues and interpretation of tongues. Next week we're gonna be talking about faith and the gift of miracles. And then the week after that we're talking about healings. Then after that we're gonna jump into the fruits of the spirit, discuss uh, how those affect our lives. And that's gonna take us through the rest of the summer. So this is, uh, this is just one of the many talks uh, that we're having on the Holy Spirit. And what I'm noticing is that Jesus, a lot of times, really means things that he says. And, uh, you know, sometimes we believe that, but we just don't get it. And he said, if you, if you seek, you will find. And as we've been in this ongoing discussion about the Holy Spirit, it's been really amazing to see sort of an affection for the Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit continued to grow and, and blossom in and amongst us. It's been amazing. We've began different ministries out of this, uh, out of this time. We've, we've seen people come into, into greater realizations of their callings. It's been amazing, and I, I'm just excited to see what the Lord continues to do through this. So we're gonna pick up, uh, like we do each week, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven, where Paul is introducing these gifts of the Spirit. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, your word that does not return void. Lord, we just thank you. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you have for us today? Jesus, this is your church. We give it to you. And Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you take control? And we thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So remember, we talked about the gifts are situational, not occupational. In other words, that if the Holy Spirit owns the gifts and as he gives each one a gift as he sees fit, then at any moment we can actually access the gift that he's giving at that time. So in other words, there's not necessarily healers, there's not necessarily uh, miracle workers. It's, it's one and the same and we get to partake in what he's distributing at that time. And so that, keep that in mind as we're working through this. There's a reason we're belaboring these gifts is because what Paul says in the beginning is that he doesn't want for any of us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be unlearned as to what the gifts are and how to use them because if we don't recognize what they are and how we can access them, then more often than not, we'll just leave them on the shelf. And so this week we're talking about tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And Paul again would say to us that he does not want us to be ignorant about those. But you know, tongues is an incredibly divisive subject. I don't know if you know this, but there is a lot of confusion, there's a lot of, of questioning, there's a lot of disbelief, there's even a lot of uh, uh, contempt around the issue of tongues. And it's divided groups within the church, it's divided different theologies, it's divided different thoughts, and people are, are typically on one side of the fence or the other. And what we understand is that we understand that when we see these things happening, within the context of the church, when we see all of this smoke, we have to realize that this is probably a tactic of the enemy that he's using as a smokescreen to keep us from something that the Lord is, is laying out for us. We, we see this all the time. So when you find areas in scripture that there's a lot of contention around, it, it's typically the enemy trying to push us away from those because what we always wanna do is when we see abuse or when we see uh, fire, we want to answer it with neglect. We wanna run away. But the answer to abuse is never neglect. The answer is to continue to walk towards that which has been abused. And tongues has been abused. It's been abused both sides. Those that believe that they are no longer necessary and those that believe they are incredibly necessary, there's been abuse done on both sides. And so all of us right now are approaching this subject with some form of predetermined bias towards this, this idea of tongues. And as we look at the scripture, let's just kind of peel that back. Let's, let's do where we suspend our disbelief for a moment. Let's put our bias on the shelves. And let's just look at the scriptures and see what the scriptures say. And then if we ever have an issue with what the scriptures say, that issue is probably with us. So let's let the scripture form us more in the image of Christ. Deal? Okay, and then next week, faith, miracles, it's gonna be easy, right? I gave you a warning. I said, you know, if you wanna skip one, this would be the one you'd probably want to skip, but you guys showed up, so double barrel, here we go. Okay, so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.10, at the, at the latter part of that verse, uh, he says that to another different kind of tongues, to another 
interpretation of tongues. So this group uh, of spiritual gifts is typically grouped under the area of the declarative gifts, uh, along with prophecy, which we discussed uh, last week. And so it's, it's the ones that we use with our mouths, it's the ones that we're declaring things. And oftentimes, we, we sort of wrap these in as one gift, but what the scripture is teaching here is that it's actually two different gifts at work. There's different kinds of tongues and then the interpretation of tongues. And so we're gonna look at the first, uh, we're gonna look at the different kinds of tongues first, and then we're gonna move to the interpretation of tongues. So uh, we see here that in this language where it says the different kind of tongues, that word different is, is a Greek word for genos. And it's actually referring to nationalities, it's referring to, uh, to tribes, kindred, offspring, uh, family, nations, or national descent. So in other words, this is probably Paul talking about the kind of tongues that we see in Acts chapter two. We'll, we'll look at that real quick. It's Acts chapter two, uh, verse four. And it says, and they were filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So this is an example of the different kind of tongues. These were the disciples, the 120 in the upper room, were, were overcome, we know the story, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues and the tongues were the tongues of those people around. And so the people receiving the tongues actually were able to interpret them because it was in their own language. Now we, we know that this idea of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is a grand reversal of Babylon, of Babel. It's when, you know, when, when God came down and confused the languages and, and he separated and divided people by languages, on the day of Pentecost, this is a reversal of that and everyone were able to hear the wonderful works of God in their own language. It was a reversal of Babel. And so, so it is with these sort of tongues, these different kind of tongues, it is a reversal of Babel. It is, is us being able to, through the unction and, and utterances of the Holy Spirit, be able to speak in languages that are foreign to us. It's pretty amazing. In other words, like God doesn't need us to necessarily learn every language for every occasion, that he can actually intervene supernaturally and we can communicate the amazing works of God to people who don't speak the same language as us. That's incredible. I mean, it really is amazing. I grew up in sort of a uh, hyper-Pentecostal background, and so we really were into tongues. And, uh, but because of that, we, we had a lot of stories around this. And, and in fact, the church that, that we were a part of, amazing church, uh, before I came here, there were several stories, one in particular that stands out, where uh, there was uh, a time, if, if you haven't been in these kinds of churches, what happens is typically during worship, uh, someone will stand up and deliver a message in tongues and someone will interpret it. And, uh, and so that's the two gifts there. And uh, at one point this happened and you know, a message was given in tongues and it was interpreted and everyone went on uh, with the service. And after the service, uh, a person came to one of the pastors and said, the, the inclusion in this church is incredible. Like, I don't even understand how that you knew to do that. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, well, that was Mandarin. How do, how do they know Mandarin? I, and, and so apparently the person there was a, was a fluent Mandarin, native Mandarin speaker and was able to hear 
what was being said and translate the same translation as the person giving the translation. It's pretty incredible. And so you can imagine that uh, once you know, they were able to meet the people that delivered it, there was no doubt that they knew they did not know Mandarin. Uh, you can imagine the faith that was lifted uh, in that individual. It's a pretty incredible uh, thing. So the second type of gift is the interpretation of tongues. And so this one goes in tangent with, uh, with the other gift of, of the different kinds of tongues. And this allows someone else who doesn't speak the language that's being spoken to give an interpretation supernaturally. Paul goes on to talk about how um, tongues aren't only of, of men, but they're also of angels. So if it's an angelic language, you would obviously need a supernatural interpretation. And it allows someone else uh, or yourself to give the interpretation of tongues. Now, interestingly or not, Paul goes on later to say that tongues are actually prayers to God. So a tongue and an interpretation of tongue really should be more of a praise and a worship towards God. And so it's this idea of the Holy Spirit uh, empowering and emboldening someone, like a congregation, to come together and give a praise and a worship to God. Um, so that's the difference between prophecy. Prophecy brings us into the heart of the Father. It's, it's him speaking through us to someone else. And tongues and interpretations, Paul tells us, is actually pointed towards God. So if you are experiencing one of these, then you would, you would want to look for, okay, what is the interpretation? It should be placed more towards God than towards a message from him. Does that make sense? A message from him is more of a prophetic message. A message to him is the Holy Spirit praying through us, praising the Father to him. It's pretty incredible to think about. I mean, the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father have been in this Trinitarian dance, so to speak, forever since time began. And they've been deferring and praising one another this whole time. I mean, that's their nature of their relationship. Is each one is, is praising the other. And, and the idea that we can actually grab a hold of a praise that the Holy Spirit is giving us to God, I mean, that's, that's powerful. I mean, it's amazing. So that is tongues and interpretation of tongues. We're good? See you next week? I mean, that's the two gifts. That's, that's the explanation. So it has to beg the question, what's the big deal? Why the controversy? Well, what's the confusion about? Because, I mean, it seems, I mean, it's, it's a little bit out there. Is it really any more out there than prophecy or words of knowledge or healings? Not too much. So what's, what's the confusion? Where does it come from? Well, we, we have to understand that the context of this, this book, right? It's not really a book. It's a letter. And it's a letter that Paul was writing to a gathered church in Corinthians or in Corinth. So there were the Corinthians, people from Corinth. And Paul was writing this letter as an explanation of his prior letter, which apparently caused more confusion than, than good, and so we don't have the first letter. We call this the first letter because it's the first one we have. It was the one the Holy Spirit said, now let's go with that one. And so we have this letter, and, and it's written to the church at Corinth, and it, it was meant to be read in one setting, that didn't have chapters, that didn't have verses. And it was to explain things, primarily here, it's explaining the spiritual gifts. Because apparently the Corinthians were really stoked about the spiritual gifts, and especially about tongues. 
And so Paul goes into great detail to talk about how this should work in a gathered worship context. And he spends chapter 12 introducing the spiritual gifts and going through them and and talking about them. And then he rounds off chapter 12 with, uh, if you've been around church, you've probably heard this this use about the body. We're all one body, many parts. Essentially saying that that one gift really shouldn't be elevated over the other and and a person that really operates in a certain gift at a certain time shouldn't be elevated above the other because all the gifts work together just like a body does. And so that's how he ends uh, chapter 12 with, with verse 31 and he says, but eagerly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And so he moves from chapter 12, where he's talking about the gifts, and he's talking about uh, the difference in gifts, and, and within the body, how, how it's okay if one speaks in tongues and one prophesies, everyone's okay, it's fine. He moves from that into chapter 13. And if you've ever been to a wedding, or maybe you watched Wedding Crashers, you know that chapter 13 is the famous love chapter that is read about uh, love, usually in weddings. But Paul goes into great detail to say that, that really, like, the gifts are great, but it's about love. And so we, are, should, we, we should eagerly desire, he tells us at the end of 1231, spiritual gifts, but there's a better way to go about it. We should be eagerly desiring love. And so he moves to uh, verse 1 of chapter 13, and he says this. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So sometimes people read that and they think, well, there you go, shouldn't speak in tongues, don't wanna be a clanging brass cymbal. But he he goes on in verse two, he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So he starts with tongues because that's kind of where he left off. And he starts with tongues and then he moves from tongues to prophecy, to knowledge, to giving to the poor, to like giving yourself as a living sacrifice. Basically, he pulls out all of like the Christian values. And he says, those are all great, but if they're not centered and rooted in love, then they're worthless. And so he's talking to this, these people that, that were really going after the spiritual gifts, and in the letter he says, that's awesome. But let me make sure that you're going after them for the right reasons. And we spent some time on this when words of knowledge and, and in prophecy, that if our words of knowledge and our, and our prophetic messages are centered on us loving someone more, are centered on, on trying to portray how much God loves them, then it's okay to get them wrong. Because at the worst case scenario, you're just trying to love someone better. And we could all use a little bit more love. And so it is with with all of the gifts, and so it is with every sort of Christian value. It doesn't matter if you give all of your money away to the poor, but you hate someone, but you begrudge it. It doesn't, don't do it. He can take care of the poor. He doesn't need our help to do that. He doesn't need our help to deliver these spiritual gifts. And so if we're trying to do that outside of a desperate love for our neighbor, then we should stop and we should find the love. And so he spends, he spends an entire chapter talking through uh, 
how much love should play a role in this game, this whole, you know, this, this sphere of Christianity, how central to it is love, and especially in the spectrum of the spiritual gifts. And he goes on in verse eight of chapter 13, he says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. And where there are, there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. It should be pretty familiar. And see, what happens is Paul says that where there are, there, there are tongues, they'll cease. And where there are prophecies, uh, they, will, uh, they will go in part. It says they will fail, is what it says. And, and what happens a lot of times is that people say, see, they're going to fail. Because he says when the perfect comes, those will go away. And some people have taken that to mean uh, the Bible, that Paul was actually referencing um, this, this Bible here as the perfect. Now, the scriptures are perfect. They're inspired. But anytime the, the scriptures are referencing perfect, the perfect one, it's, it's Jesus. It's the Messiah. It's the Savior. And we know that he, he left and he's coming back. And when he returns, he's going to return, and there's going to be a final judgment. There's going to be a last day where everything is made right and put back in order, and his kingdom is going to come fully on earth as it is in heaven. And so what Paul is saying is that when that day comes, we won't need prophecies because we won't need to do any more work to show Jesus' heart towards others because Jesus is here to do that himself. And in, in tongues, we're, we're all going to be in one accord. And so what he's saying is that when those things, uh, when, when that happens, those things will go away, but the forever currency of the kingdom of God is love. And so love is going to continue to prevail in power, to continue to prevail in, in its importance as time continues to go on forever and ever and ever. And so where we may not need a word of knowledge because the Lord is here, we, we definitely will continue to act and live and breathe centered in love. And so where you put your focus right now should be first and foremost in, in, a, in an idea of love, is what Paul is saying. And so then, uh, then he goes on, and he moves from chapter 13, where he's talking about don't get so caught up in the gifts that, that you forget the purpose of the gifts. Okay? And he moves from chapter 13, and he moves into chapter 14, uh, verse 1, with this. And so he, may, he wants to make sure that he's being clear here. He says, pursue love, that's what he just talked about, and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So what he's saying is, he said, don't let what I just said about love in chapter 13 make you miss the point that the gifts are good and that you should still work towards those gifts. Don't, don't let chapter 13 get you off course. It just, it should be rooted in love. And so then he moves to verse two. He says, for he who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. 
I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So again, Paul is writing this to the gathered church, right? And he's, and he's talking to them about the gathered church context. And what he's saying is that when you're together, like when everyone's here in one room, here's, here's the way it should work. Because he's talking to a church that apparently was really hyped on the tongues. And in my mind, I just imagine them all coming in, all speaking in tongues all the same time. And, and they're all speaking in tongues and really enjoying it. And then you put yourself in that position of like being the guest of the visitor. Maybe you've been to a church like that. I kind of grew up in a church like that. And, and you, you show up and you're, it's bring your friend to church day and that's the day that things really break out. I can't, I can't explain to you how many times. I was the, like the token Pentecostal in school and I would bring my friends to church with just, I mean, just fear, just like, please, God, just take it easy today, you know? And so, uh, and so they, would, they would come in and things would be okay and then things would start to happen and then it was, it was, it was a tongues party. And, uh, and they inevitably were scared out of their mind and never came back with me again. And, uh, and so I, I finally caught on that I was just gonna not do that. And what Paul is saying is, he's saying, no, my goodness, don't create an environment where you can't bring in people that don't believe like you do. Like, that's the opposite of what we should be doing. Don't create a gathering where because you're so excited about this spiritual gift or that spiritual gift that, that you forget the bigger picture of love and it's about loving people, it's especially about loving people who aren't in that family and then, and then you're creating an environment where they just feel like they don't belong. That's the opposite of what the scriptures say we're supposed to do. I mean, that's the opposite of the gospel presentation is is that there's a family that you're supposed to be a part of that you've never met. And there's a home that you've, that you've never been to, but you're born for. I mean, that's the gospel. And, and these Corinthians, like us, were excited about a few of the spiritual gifts, and it seems that they were creating a, an environment that, that was doing more harm than good when it came to people on the outside. And so Paul is, is, is really going to, to you know, detailed length here to say, you know, on the one hand, desire the spiritual gifts. On, on the other hand, also, you're supposed to love people. These are going hand in hand. And when you come together, remember, love people. So if, if it's tongues that you're after, then there should be an interpretation so that someone else knows you're not crazy. And he even says that. He says, they're going to think you're out of your mind when they come in. And so he says, you know, if, if you must speak in tongues, make sure that you interpret so that someone knows I didn't walk into the wrong place. So whoever's coming in, and you know, it's interesting. He, he mentions unbelievers and, and people that are a little bit uninformed. In other words, there's going to be people that aren't believers, they're on the outside of the family, and they're gonna come in. And then there's gonna be people that are believers, they just don't know all of the things that Paul is teaching them right now. And so, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but both sides can sometimes move into an elitist viewpoint, where we can either have the Holy Spirit or not have the Holy Spirit, 
or we can have more knowledge or whatever, and, and either side, whether it's you're all into tongues or you're not into tongues, both sides can sometimes move into an elitist posture of saying, I've got it, you don't. And he's saying, that's not how it works either. Because you're gonna have unbelievers, and then you're gonna have people that are just a bit less informed about this particular subject. And so what you wanna do is make sure that you create a welcoming environment. And he goes to great detail. Now, however, it's really important because a lot of times we'll miss this. Paul says that he wished all of us spoke in tongues. And, and the apostle Paul is like potentially, you know, arguably the greatest of the apostles. And he's sitting here saying, I wish you all spoke in tongues. And even more than that, really, we know that Paul didn't really write this. He penned it. And it was the Holy Spirit writing through Paul. It's inspired. The Holy Spirit then is saying, he wished we all spoke in tongues. I mean, that's heavy. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God, which means God is saying, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Why? Well, he says it. He says because it edifies you. It builds you up. And those two things aren't in opposition to one another. He says, he says prophecy edifies the church and tongues edifies the person speaking in tongues. Not that one is better or worse, but it's just two separate things. And when you're in a corporate function, you want to focus on edifying other people. And when you're not in that corporate function, you better be focused on edifying yourself. So that when you get to the corporate function, when you get to the marketplace, when you get to your office, when you get to the grocery store, wherever it is, you're ready to go. I wish you all spoke in tongues. And like Paul, I wish you all spoke in tongues. And like the Holy Spirit, I would rather you prophesy on Sunday morning than speaking in tongues. Because like we said last week, prophecy brings us right in to the presence and the heart of the Father. And so when people come in here, you know, we, didn't, we didn't build this church for Christians. We didn't plant this for, for other people to, to make another church choice for a couple of months. That wasn't the goal. We planted that hopefully, hopefully people that didn't believe, because why? Because we're in the Bible Belt. We're in the buckle. And people out there think that if you want to find God, you go to a church. And he's in a church. And he's especially in a church that meets on a Sunday around 10 o'clock. And he's really in a church that looks like this. That's what they think. And so Sunday mornings are, are, are a missional opportunity that people that are seeking God can come thinking he's living in a church, but he's really living in each of us. And so when they come in, they could either come in and we're just edifying ourselves and speaking in tongues and, and, and freaking them out, or we're prophesying over them. And, and remember it says that that when you prophesy, their hearts are laid bare, and that's not their sins, that's their, it's their hearts, it's their dreams. And they can see that God is more for them than they could even imagine. And that's why Paul is saying, when you're together, prophesy, or interpret the tongue. But he doesn't say, so don't speak in tongues. He, he, he goes to great length in this. In, in verse uh, 14 of chapter 14, 
He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So people sometimes will take this to mean, see, you shouldn't pray in tongues because your understanding is unfruitful. Well, he then says, okay, I think people might say that. So he goes and writes verse 15, and he says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, which he just said was, if I, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So praying in the Spirit is praying in tongues, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. So just in case there's any confusion, Paul is saying, listen, there's a time and a place for everything. And he, he wraps up chapter 14 talking about the order of the service, making sure that, that we always keep our brothers and sisters in mind. But then he says, he says, but that doesn't negate our need for tongues because it edifies, it builds you up. And so he, he says that I will pray in the spirit and I will sing in the spirit. Now let me just say, just a sidebar, there's praying in tongues and then there's singing in tongues. Paul seems to recommend both, as do I. Because I think there are two different purposes that take place when you're praying in tongues or when you're singing in tongues. Just like when you're praying and when you're singing praises. There's two different uses for them. I highly recommend it. But you know, we're talking about order. So typically, our worship leaders aren't going to lead us in a song in tongues. That would be difficult. We probably, I wouldn't know how to put the words up there. We could do like a voice to text thing, but that might get weird. <laughs> so typically we're not gonna do that. Sometimes they might, but typically they're not. And if they ever do, here's our rule. We never apologize for weird, but we do explain it and we do acknowledge it, right? So there's gonna be things that happen, like doing an entire message on tongues, that are weird. It's okay to say this is weird, but we never apologize for being weird, but we explain it. Now it also doesn't give us an excuse to fly our freak flag that we've been waiting to fly for a while in the name of Jesus. Let's don't do that. Some people see this as just, okay, this is my ticket. Because you can be weird without the Holy Spirit, right? We've talked about that a lot. And, the, and a lot of us don't need a lot of help, okay? We're plenty weird enough. And so this isn't, this isn't that, but this is a saying, hey look, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit and I'm not going to diminish a gift that he's given us. So he goes on and he says in, in verse 18, just in case there was still co some confusion, he says, I think my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. I love that. It seems so brash. And, and I've made it my personal mission to be able to say that as well. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I would love to stand here and say, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you guys. <laughs> Hashtag it on my level. I don't think I'm there yet. I'm not there yet. And then just to hammer it home, right? So just to make sure he's still, he's writing a letter to a church hundreds of miles away that have misinterpreted some of the things that he wrote prior, so he, he's really going to painstaking detail here, and he says uh, in verse 23 or 14, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? 
So he's going back to his point and saying, don't you see what I'm talking about? Now we can understand, right? There, there is a bit of room for confusion here. It's not necessarily people are evil and they're trying to talk bad about tongues or they're, or they're really into it and they think, I mean, this is sort of a complex issue, especially when you're talking about something so supernatural as tongues. And so he, he writes this and then he, he sums it all up with verse 39. He says, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. It should be settled. So we should, we should prophesy first and foremost in a public setting. But we should never forbid speaking in tongues. So if you're around here, you may hear us speaking in tongues from time to time. But typically what we try to do is not exalt it. And so, you know, we have sort of this unspoken code. Like if you're going to speak in tongues, let's just move the mic because it's for you. If, if you're going to, to speak in tongues, you can do that quietly. You don't have to just yell and all of that sort of stuff because it's, it's for you. But by all means, build yourself up. And so the question becomes, why, why are we spending this entire time talking about tongues? I mean, an entire Sunday on tongues? It's because it builds you up. Because there's a gift of tongues and then apparently there's a grace of tongues that we can all access and we can pray in tongues more than everyone else. And the gift of tongues operates in a corporate setting and it should be translated and a grace of tongues should be done privately as much as possible. So much so that you can come in and you could say, not more than me. And then we could begin to compare notes about actually how much did we speak in tongues this week. And then people really think we're weird. But, you, but, but this is the point, is that it builds you up. And why wouldn't you want to be built up? Because I don't know about you, but I need to be built up. I don't know about you, but there are things in my life that I need extra help for. Th things are going on outside of my control that I know I am incapable to stay the course. Like I know that my heart can be torn away. And I need all of the building up I can get. We need help. And it's the Holy Spirit, the helper, who's saying, I wish you all spoke in tongues so you could be built up. So you can get help. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. And he's going over, in chapter six, he's going over the armor of God and he's talking about all of that and he introduces the armor of God and he says, he says, you need to be able to stand and when you've done all to continue to stand, to stand firm, and what do you need to be able to withstand things? You need to be built up. And he sums it up in verse 17 and he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, in the spirit. What did he just say in Corinthians when he prays in the spirit? It's tongues, it's for building up. And so he says here, you wanna stand? You pray in the spirit, always, with all prayer and all supplication, in the spirit. There's not a period after the word of God. It's a semicolon, the thought continues. The sentence isn't over. And he says that we're supposed to continue to pray. In Jude 1.20, he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. 
just in case you thought that was just Paul. We're to pray in the Spirit, to sing in the Spirit, so that we can be built up, so that we can stand, so that when all of the fiery darts from the evil one, from the one who is roaming back and forth, seeking whom he may devour, and by the way, he's not really worried about you until you're on Jesus' team, and so once you sign up, that's when the warfare starts. And once you get on the team, that's when the trouble comes. And, and wouldn't you need as much help as you can get? I think you would. And so that's why I, along with the Holy Spirit, along with Paul, would say, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Because apparently you all can. I can't imagine the Holy Spirit wishing something that could never really be possible. It doesn't make sense. Now the tongues thing is... is is a difficult subject. Because again, we've said abuses have been done. Now I grew up in a, in a very Pentecostal context. And it was good people, that was just the context. And, and they did a great job. But the belief was is that there is you know, level one Christians, and then there are level two Christians. And level two Christians come when you speak in tongues. So you need to speak in tongues. And they would use verses that are in there about Paul writing and saying, you know, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by the speaking of tongues? And so the, the, the words were, you need the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and that's speaking in tongues. And so I remember my entire childhood being centered around wanting to speak in tongues. But we had another little strange thing in there uh, that maybe you've heard of it, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit which was the unforgivable sin, and by the way, that is if you fake speaking in tongues, is what, what I was taught. So I was paralyzed. On the one hand, I needed to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, apparently. On the other hand, if I faked it, I was going to hell, do not pass go, do not collect $100. And that's a lot on a 10-year-old. And so uh, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go to hell. And I also wanted to be a level two Christian. And like literally Sunday after Sunday, I would go down to the altar and just say, please, you know, because people would ask, hey, have you spoken in tongues yet? And then, you know, I could lie, but we lose our salvation too, by the way, which is a whole other issue. And uh, so at any moment, I could go to hell. Uh, so I wasn't going to lie if I could help it. And, uh, and so I, you know, every Sunday, I would go down to the altar because they had altar calls every Sunday. And every Sunday, this prayer would be the same. Can I please speak in tongues? And really well-meaning good people, like some of the best people I've ever met in my entire life, would try and help me like, get it. And, uh, and so I just, I mean, I have so many memories of this. And I would just wait there, you know, and they would say, just tell God how much you love him and all of that, and I did a lot, and it just didn't work. And then there were other people, which they didn't act like they loved God a lot, seemed to have a lot of tongues going on, and I just couldn't put the two and two together. And so it just created this divide in me to where I eventually said, I'm good. I'm off the tongue thing. No worries. I'm saved. At least I'm going to heaven. And so we fast forward. I was probably 20. I was home from college. Um, and I was, you know, having a quiet time. And I was praying. And I was just coming into the realization of God as a father, of God that loves me, and the God that's good. 
And I was praying into that and just really being overcome. And I felt like I was supposed to do something else. And as soon as I got that feeling, the thought, you should pray in tongues, came into my head. I was like, no way. I'm not doing that. And then, you know, as a grown-up, I actually sat there and I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. The things I'm learning about you, God, don't seem to indicate that you would send me to hell if I'm trying to speak in tongues. It doesn't seem to add up to the other stuff about you being a good, kind father. And if this turns out to send me to hell, maybe that's the better option in the first place. Because how could a good God do that? I'm just letting you know my thought process. And so I did. I spoke in tongues, and it was just like two seconds, and it seemed really phony, and it seemed like I, was, I just made it up, and it wasn't magic, and that was kind of it. It was underwhelming. <laughs> I built it up big time in my head. I mean, I thought it was going to be this moment of like, you know, just being overcome, and like I stuck my hand in an outlet or something like that. But it wasn't. It was just really simple. And I continued to sort of like kind of keep stepping further into the water a bit, so to speak, until it became just sort of a normal occurrence in my quiet time of praying in tongues. And the more I did it, the more I realized how much of a faith exercise it is. You know, everything in the kingdom takes a faith initiative. I mean, there's a receiving that happens, but most of the kingdom activities are faith-inspired which means you've got to step into the water before it'll part, right? You've, you've got to go out there before you begin to see the miracle. And so it is with tongues. You're going to start saying things, and it's going to seem like it's you. And you just keep practicing, and you keep trying to love, and especially others, and especially God. And as you do that, over time, you will find yourself being actually, no kidding, built up. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and you'll find yourself coming into, this is what it's talking about. And it's just an amazing tool that we have as believers that we can begin to, to stick in our tool belts and when we notice the fiery darts, when we notice we're going into a meeting that we're unprepared for, when we notice all of those things, we can access it and edify ourselves. The Holy Spirit can pray through us things that we need that we don't even know that we need. It's incredible. Why would you not want it? Why would you be afraid of it? It is weird. But we do weird things all the time that don't help us. Now, tongues is not a workaround. It doesn't take the place of sanctification. It doesn't take the place of reading scriptures. It doesn't take the place of not sinning. So it's not this, this magic workaround that we don't have to do all of the other things because we can speak in tongues and there we go, we're all good. It's just a part of it. It's a part of the plan. And so along with the Holy Spirit, along with God, along with the Apostle Paul, my prayer is that we would all be actually be able to be built up so that we can stand, because what would it look like if a church was rooted in love and was able to stand against the onslaught of the enemy? What would that look like? It would look like all of the Old Testament battles where the Lord fought on behalf of his people. It would look like Gideon and his few that were able to overcome supernaturally all of the odds. That's what it looks like. 
And that's the reason that Paul spends so much time on this. Nearly three chapters. We spent just one sermon. It's because it's important. Because we want you to, to be able to try. So please be removed of fear. Please be removed of, of compulsion. Uh, your salvation does not hinge on this. And we are all on a journey crawling towards Christ. And whether or not you're doing that speaking tongues or not, doesn't mean either any of us are any better than the other. So that's not the point. So I would hope that this week, if you, if you haven't done that, that in your quiet time that you just spend a minute just saying, it makes sense, I'll give it a try. And just begin to, to try and, and dialogue with the Holy Spirit and say, if this is something you would like for me to do, then I, I don't want to not do something you're wanting me to do. And just see what happens. No pressure. And you have full freedom to get it wrong. It's okay. The worst thing that happens is you're just trying to love God as much as you can. And that's pretty good. So we're going to have a time of, of prayer here. Not necessarily for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but because we believe that you may need prayer. That you may need to borrow some of our faith that we've received from edifying ourselves. And that we can give that to you. Father's Day is a hard day for a lot of people. And the idea of God as a father sometimes is more of, more of a hindrance than a welcoming thing. And, and it, can be, it can be difficult. And Father's Day can sort of drum up all kinds of feelings about our dads that may or may not have been good people. And the enemy can use those memories and thoughts to say, that's what dads are like. And God can become a picture of that, a cartoon of what our fathers were like. But he's not. He's so good. And we want to pray for you. Specifically for that. Specifically that the wounds that you may have inherited from either your, your natural father or a stepfather or the absence of a father or even a dad who's trying with everything he's got, we're all going to get it wrong. Or maybe you're a father and you're just overcome with guilt. Things are hard. And, and we need each other. And so on Father's Day, we want to offer a time of prayer. So we're going to worship. One more song. And then as we're here, as you're sitting here, as you're worshiping, just, just ask the Lord, I'm here for a reason. What are you trying to say to me today? And maybe you're just here because you're desperately in need of feeling the love of your father. And you're, and you're looking for him to smile just one time and say, well done. The picture of God the Father is the God in the prodigal son narrative. He's, he's just waiting with open arms. He doesn't want to hear why you were away. He doesn't care. He just wants to hug you and kiss you and welcome you back. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would do what you do, that you draw all of us to you. You begin to move in us and among us, that as we're sitting here, we just release those wounds from the Father that we've experienced from our earthly Father. We just, our hands are open. Would you take them? 
And then would you teach us what it's like to be loved and adored by our Heavenly Father? We thank you, Jesus. For all upcoming events or more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.